Good morning to each of you. Certainly a privilege that we have to be here together today. We have several visitors. We're thankful that you're here. We're thankful for those who will be joining us by Zoom. We have so many things to be thankful for, and one of those is that we have a new sister in Christ. Alexa Davis was baptized yesterday. That's Ira's daughter. We're very thankful for the choice that she's made, and so I want you to, to be sure and meet her and welcome her into the family of Christ. As I said, we have a lot to be thankful for. It's a great privilege that we have to be together, to worship God, and to study from His Word. This morning, I want to bring you a study from the Old Testament. We're going to be reading several verses in the Old Testament and relate to you a story that we find there. I've entitled it Men of Integrity, but this is not a lesson only to men. This is about integrity. And I hope that you all will find something that you can take from the things we present this morning that will be of value to you, that will edify you, and that will help you as you walk before Christ each day. We're going to begin in the book of Deuteronomy. As we read here, we find that God's people have wandered through the wilderness. They have come to the river Jordan. They are ready to go into the promised land that God had, had promised to deliver them to. We find that Moses is now handing over the leadership of this group of people to Joshua. In verse 22 of Deuteronomy 31, it says, Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. <clears throat> Moses gives Joshua a charge. He tells him, it's now your responsibility to lead these people. It's going to be your responsibility to take them into this land that God promised, and the leadership is on your shoulders. Let's go to Deuteronomy 34 and read there beginning in verse 1. As God takes Moses up on the mountain and allows him to look into the promised land, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan and Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar, and the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So Moses, because of his disobedience, was not allowed to go into the land, but God showed him the land that he had promised to deliver this group of people to. And as we see the description here, it speaks of the city Jericho. And so the first task that awaits Joshua, as he takes on leadership of this group of people, the first task that awaits him is to cross the river Jordan and to take the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho had massive walls. 
It was really built for war. It was a great defensive wall. As I understand, as I read about it, there was an incline leading up to the wall. There were actually two walls, and the larger wall was anywhere from 11 to 15 foot tall and 6 foot wide. So this place was fortified. It, was very, it had a lot of strength, and it was able to withstand uh, all of the weapons of war at that time. The Bible describes it as a city that was shut up or tightly shut. Joshua, even though he was a great commander and he was trusted by Moses and by God, Joshua himself could not penetrate the walls of this city. But God gave him very specific instructions. Let's go to Jericho, uh, Joshua 6, beginning in verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This shall you do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. As I said, this city was of great strength. It had walls that could not be breached or burned or captured. But because of the power of God and because Joshua followed the instructions of God, these walls just collapsed. Joshua carefully obeyed the orders that God had given him, and as a result, God gave him great victory over Jericho. Now that's an amazing story. We've read that story many times. But I want us to go back now to Joshua, the second chapter, because I believe that's where the story really began. Let's notice that the conquest of Jericho really began in chapter 2. The fall of this mighty city started with two very bold men. These men were not Joshua and Caleb. These men were unnamed. The Bible doesn't tell us very much about them. It simply says that they were sent by Joshua into the city of Jericho and that they were to... Uh, spy out the city, and then bring back a report. These men were faithful, and they were courageous, just like so many people that we read of throughout Scripture who served God with all of their heart, but remained nameless. Let's read in Joshua 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. <clears throat> so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. These men were sent by Joshua. Their simple instruction was to go to the house 
of Rahab the harlot. So again, I ask you the, about these men. What was their name? What tribe were they from? We don't know. We are not given those details. But Joshua knew them. He knew their character. And I believe that if you and I as Christians want to be used by God, we need to learn from these two men. And so there's five observations that I want to make about these guys that I think we can make application to in our lives. Number one, they were willing to risk their lives. Number two, they had been tested and refined. Number three, we'll notice that they didn't seek or need to be in the spotlight. Number four, they were careful about their integrity. And then number five, they were sexually disciplined. So I want us to take each one of these and look at them this morning and, and look at the character that these men had and how they reacted and how they followed the instruction they were given. As I said, they were willing to risk their lives. <clears throat> Can you imagine, as we've described this city, a great city that's extremely fortified, and they are to go by night and sneak into this city, and they're putting their lives in the hands of someone they do not know. They just simply have the instruction that you are to go to this house and, and to be lodged there. They go and place their lives in the hands of someone that they've never met, and that they don't know. And that's great courage. I also think of the Apostle Paul when I think about courage and I think about boldness. You know, Paul, as he went about his missionary journey, he would go from city to city. He would search out the synagogue. He would go into the synagogue. And he was very bold as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was very bold in the things that he did, and he, he did that as we think about his previous reputation, and he wasn't always given a warm welcome as he went into any particular town. But again, he was bold. He was bold as he lived his life and as he preached the gospel. Paul said that he had even been beaten so many times that he had lost count. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Again, we observe the boldness of Paul, how he put himself in the line of fire time and time again, just as these two spies did. You know, you and I as Christians may or may not be called on to risk our lives for the cause of Christ, but we've got to ask ourselves an honest question each and every day. What are we willing to risk? Are we willing to risk our comfort, our reputation, our social standing? Are we willing to put our lives on the line for Christ? You know, as we look at the culture that we live in, the way it has degraded, the difficulties that we face in life, we've got to be bold as Christians. And that means that we stand up and live our faith, and not only that, but that we tell others about it. Are we willing to give up our personal desires 
so that we can live a life that will honor God. Romans 8, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, it comes down to the life that we're willing to live, the example that we set, and how we conduct ourselves each and every day. We've got to question our worldly friendships, the business dealings that we involve ourselves in, all of these things, the decisions and choices that we make each day, do they honor God? I think about the Hebrew men that we read of in Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been elevated to a place of authority. Because of their character, because of their leadership skills, they had been put in a position of authority in the kingdom of Babylon. But then they were called upon to stand up when their faith was tested. In verse 16 it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, if that is the case. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. These men were called upon to stand up for what they believed in. Nebuchadnezzar had set up this golden image and he had made a decree that everyone had to bow to it. But they were very bold in proclaiming their faith. They knew where their faith was. They knew that they would stand strong and that God would deliver them. If you and I want to be used by God, then we have to boldly proclaim our faith each and every day. We have to live and practice what we preach. As we live our lives each and every day, our actions or our inaction proves to those around us where our faith lies and what we truly believe. Next, I want to notice that these two men, these spies, were tested and refined. So as we read in Scripture, we again, we don't find a lot of detail about these men. But let's suppose for just a little bit. After wandering in the desert for 40 years, do you believe or do you suppose that Joshua, Joshua would trust this mission to someone that had not been tried and proven? I believe that Joshua knew these men, knew their character, he knew of their integrity, their work ethic. It had to have been very evident in their lives. And I believe that Scripture shows us that in verse 14 of Joshua 2. So these men answered Rahab, Our, life, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. You see, I believe the character of these men was evident by the words that they used, the answer that they gave to Rahab. They said, when the Lord delivers this land. 
They knew the great God that they served. They had observed Him as He parted the Red Sea, as He performed all the miracles that, that carried these people through uh, the desert to the Promised Land. They knew that God was a God that could be trusted. So I truly believe they had been tested and refined. I think of Job and the words that he proclaimed in Job 23 and verse 10, speaking of God, he says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Also, Isaiah 48 verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of afflictions. You know, we have afflictions every day. There are things that we deal with on a daily basis. There are any number of things. It can be financial crisis. It can be health crisis. It can be family relationships. All these things come about and they test us. And it really is in those difficult times that we show what our character is. It's in those times that integrity is shown or it's not. I think about our commitment in relationships. You know, as we look at the world around us, people renegotiate contracts, they nullify contracts, uh, they change things on a whim. People walk away from relationships rather than putting effort and work into them. We've got to rely on our faith in those difficult times of life. We need to stand true and be people of integrity. We do that by building on the right foundation. Luke 6, verse 48, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. We must place our faith in God. When we go through difficulties, do we allow God to refine us through that process? Again, I think about relationships that we build. Relationships that need to be a support for us. But when it gets difficult, do we simply walk away? Or do we get down to business and work harder? 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The next thing I want us to notice is that these men did not seek or need to be in the limelight. It's very amazing to me as we consider their lives that these two spies took on a very dangerous mission. They completed it and they brought back a report to Joshua. And then really they disappear. We don't hear much about them in Scripture after this point. The only other time we read about them is in Joshua 6 and we'll read there beginning in verse 22. And this is after the children of Israel have conquered uh, the city, the walls had collapsed and they go in to take the city. Let's read in verse 22 and 23. 
But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. That's it. That's what we hear about these two men. We hear about their braveness. We hear about their commitment. But once their job is done, that's all we hear. They simply do their job and fade into the background. You know, you and I are the same way in that we all work together for the greater good. This body of people here works together in a very wonderful way. And I, I think of, a, of analogy, I've, I've worked with equipment machinery all my life, and I think about how we take gearboxes, gears that have cogs on them and they mesh together, and those can be used in a way to transfer motion uh, and move great large machines. Very small parts can move something that is extremely massive. And it's something that works well together. But you know, just one or two of those cogs get broken off of a gear, that throws the whole process uh, out of alignment. Things just don't work like they should. But we each doing our part, even though sometimes we may think it's very insignificant, can do great things. And I've seen this body of people do just that. You know, when people are unselfish and simply go about their work and do what they're able to do, great things can be accomplished. Again, I think of some of the very smallest things. I think about those of you who are raising young children, mothers that are there day in and day out. You are discipling those children. And what a great accomplishment that is. Because as I look out over this group of people, these young people are the future of this congregation. And you're training them today. I think about all the things that go into serving a group of people like this. I've, I used this example with a group of young men just uh, this last week. But I think about people who I consider to be leaders in this congregation. And not men that have served as elders or deacons but men and women that are always there and willing to do the simplest of jobs. When there's a death, when there's people in crisis, there are always people there to walk in and help and to lift us up and to support us as we go through difficult times. I also look at Scripture and think of other people who were willing to do what they could. I think of Ruth, in Ruth 2, verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge." We, use this, we read this story of Ruth very often and we think about her commitment, her sacrifice as she left her homeland to go with her mother-in-law to a place that she didn't know. She did that out of love and devotion. 
And she did that very quietly. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11 says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. You know, the Christian life is simply no place for an ego. Again, I want you to think about people in your life that have made a great impact. Those are people that quietly go about their job. People that do what needs to be done. I think about Jesus. In His 33 years here on this earth, His ministry was only approximately three years. Before that, He was a carpenter, building tools and things that people used to work with. And the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about this part of Jesus' life, but I think we know enough about the character of Jesus to assume that He carefully and quietly went about this job. And we know there are times throughout His ministry that He would do perform a miracle, and He would tell those that had received that gift to go and, and tell the, the priest or to rather keep it quiet. He didn't want them announcing it at that time. Christ was willing and always did his job with humility. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ is always our example in humility and integrity. The fourth thing that I want to recognize about these men is that they were careful about their integrity. These men, as they talked with Rahab, could see that she knew and trusted the God of Israel. We're going to read in Joshua 8, Joshua 2, beginning in verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my Father's house, and give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Rahab and her people of Jericho knew of the great God that these men served. They had heard all the things that God had done. She said that their heart melted. They were afraid. Now I want to notice how these two spies, how they answered her, and they were very careful in the way that they responded. Beginning in verse 14, it says, So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. 
Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that wherever goes out, whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. These men made a covenant with Rahab. They spelled it out very carefully, very methodically. And then we see that they were true to their word. And that's integrity, isn't it? Integrity is a rare thing in our society today. As I said, contracts are broken, renegotiated, and nullified. People fail to follow through on commitments that they make. But time and time again, we read in Scripture of people of integrity. I think of Joseph. The Bible says that Potiphar knew not what was in his house except what he ate. Potiphar put his trust in Joseph, and Joseph was worthy of that trust. He was a man of integrity. Also think of Daniel. Daniel was given a great place of authority within the kingdom. There were men who were very jealous of him. The governors and other officials within that uh, government of that country, they were very jealous because of Daniel because of the way he continued to serve the God of heaven. And they sought to find fault with him, but the Bible says that they could not. You know, I've heard that integrity is what you are when no one's looking. Our integrity shows in the entertainment that we seek, the places that we go, the friendships that we have, others that we associate with. These two men had a great opportunity to be an influence on Rahab and on her family. And again, we see them carrying through on the promise that they had made. Next, I want to notice that these men were sexually disciplined. And you may think that's a very odd observation to make from this story, but I think it's one that we need to look at closely. These two spies went to Jericho, and they went to the house of Rahab, who was a known prostitute. Obviously, they knew her profession. They could have been tempted to approach her in an inappropriate way, but they didn't. They did that because they were men who were obedient to their faith. They were obedient to the Lord that had led them to this place. They wanted to live lives of holiness before their God. And they only treated Rahab with, in an honorable way. As we had read, Rahab said she had heard of the great God of Israel and how He had delivered His people through the Red Sea. 
and she wanted to know this God. She and her family were saved from Jericho when it was destroyed. And this woman, along with her family, became part of Israel. We find as we read through the history that that Rahab married a man named Salmon. They had a son named Boaz who married Ruth. They had a son named Obed, and then from Obed came Jesse, and then came King David. So Rahab the prostitute was the great-great-grandmother of King David. Do you see the character of these two spies and how it was important to them as they encountered this person, this woman, who wanted to know about the Lord? Think of these two men and how they could have been a very negative influence if they were not men of integrity. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. God has given us the ability to curb our emotions. He's given us self-will. He's given us self-control. And again, those who have integrity will use those tools that God has given us. I want to read from 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know what he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Not now that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. And that reason alone should cause us to conduct ourselves in a way that's pure. With integrity. You know, the world around us, the culture that we live in, has elevated anything and everything as being acceptable. God gave us the gift of intimacy within the confines of marriage. But our culture has taken it and they've hijacked it and not allowed it to be the pure blessing that God created it to be. Our culture has has applauded everything that's of deviant behavior and called it normal. But you know, God has a perfect plan for us. In 1 Corinthians 7, 
Beginning in verse 2, it says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. God always has the perfect plan. To avoid sexual impurity, God has given us the marriage relationship. And in that relationship, He has blessed us with physical intimacy. But you know, outside of marriage, sexual relationships have always and will always cause pain and heartache. Young people, don't be fooled by the lies that Satan throws at us each and every day. Any physical relationship outside of marriage is sin. It's just that. And it is not blessed by God. And those who participate in it will carry the scars that go along with it into their adult life. Now don't misunderstand me. There is forgiveness in Christ. And there is healing. But we've got to be very careful about how we use our bodies and how we control them, and how we respond to the emotions that we have. The consequences of sexual sin can be very far-reaching. Just think about the effect that these two spies had on Rahab. And we need to remember that everyone that we come in contact with has a soul. And it's our job to bring them to Christ. If you and I are not people of integrity, then we have no hope of influencing them for good. So we've observed a little bit this morning about these two spies that we've read about in Joshua 2. And again, we really have no clue of their identities. We don't know their names. We don't know what tribe they came from. We don't know their background. But because of their actions, we know about their character, and we know that they were used greatly by God. And isn't that what we all should aspire to, to be used by God? I want to conclude with Proverbs 20, verse 7. It says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Proverbs 10, verse 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will become known. I hope we all will take the admonition of the morning that we will always be people of integrity. If you're here this morning and subject to the gospel call, the Lord's invitation is open to you. If you have been taught and want to respond in obedience and be baptized, we would ask that you do that. Or if you're here today and the prayers of, of the people here in this congregation would be of service to you, we would invite you to come as well as we sing the song of invitation.